<laughs> I don't even know how I got there because it had gates. So I don't know why the gates were open. And I just need to turn around. And I don't understand what you're saying, sir. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> like, I'm not going to wait here. I'm not going to be locked in. I'm not going to wait for the cops. I don't want any of this. I just abort, abort. Happy Cinco de Mayo and welcome back to Drive With Us Podcast, a podcast where we explore driving cultures around the world by bringing on a new guest each episode to talk about the crazy things they've experienced on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bavneet. And I'm Taranjeet. And also, happy Mother's Day coming this Sunday to all the wonderful moms out there. We truly could not get far in life without our mothers. And if you're still looking for a nice gift to get your mom, why not get her a Dewalt mug, air freshener, or any of our other merch? The link for that is in our show notes below. And be sure to share your Mother's Day adventures with us by tagging us on Instagram at Drive With Us Podcast. But before we get into who today's guest is, which you could probably already tell by the title, we have a little quick car keeping. And feel free to skip past this if you're like, just give me the driving stories. We won't mind. But if you're still sticking around for this small car keeping, hello, and we appreciate it. As small time podcasters, we have to wear so many hats in order to make this podcast happen. And the reason we're telling you this is because we want to be fully transparent and honest with you guys. And so we won't go into the details of everything because we're sure you don't want to hear our entire life story. But if you're like, well, I want to help my favorite podcasters out so they can keep giving me wonderful driving stories every week and hopefully be able to hire some help in the near future to relieve some of this stress, then you can. You can become a patron on Patreon or buy us a coffee to help support our show. By becoming a patron, you'll get lots of fun perks like DWAP stickers or air fresheners, depending on the tier you choose, episodes one week early, and lots more. Or for the price of absolutely no cost to you, you can help by just sharing our episodes with your friends and family. Simply spreading the word truly does help. And also it helps reach our goal of connecting others through crazy driving stories. Let's get into today's driver. Today's driver is Jan Ruiz, a lawyer turned travel blogger and author. In 2017, she set out to take 12 trips in 12 months while employed full-time before her 30th birthday. She ended up taking 20 trips, writing a book, and finding a new career path. She is number one Amazon bestseller and reader's favorite award winner. Jen is also a three-time TEDx speaker and award-winning travel journalist. She is a founder of People of Puerto Rico, a nonprofit helping locals on the island establish online income streams, and has been featured by the Washington Post, Huffington Post, and ABC News. Jen shares with us about the time she went to great lengths to hide the damage she had done to a rental car in New Zealand, backing up into a ditch in upstate New York, and accidentally driving into a politician's private driveway in Lisbon. Let's meet today's driver, Jen Ruiz. Welcome, Jen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know with your background, you have been to so many different places you wanted your goal was to do 12 trips in 12 months. So I'm super excited to hear about your experience of the different drivers in those areas. So what would you say is one of the most craziest driving experiences you have had? 
Yes, it was in 12 months. So it was my year of adventure before my 30th birthday where I wanted to see as much as possible while I was still in my 20s. And I had a lot of different driving experiences. I rented a car and drove throughout the south of France. I went in South America, Peru, around different places. So I had a lot of different driving experiences. I would say definitely south of France stands out because it was a bucket list item for me and I wanted to go during the summer specifically so that I would be able to drive through the lavender fields and the sunflower fields and just get all of the wonderful summer smells and feel like I was in province. Did you ever end up driving in any of these different places and what was your experience like if you did? Yes, I drove in a lot of the places. Sometimes I would take public transportation. It really depended on where it was that I was going. But yes, with the south of France, I did a seven-day road trip. I flew into Paris, and then I took the train down to Avignon. From there, I picked up a car, and I was able to go around the entire area to see all kinds of different things, kind of real-life places where Van Gogh painted. And so you could see the inspiration for these famous paintings that everybody knows, different gorgeous gorges and natural rivers and and mountains that were really lovely to see the different coastal cities there in the south of France. And so I drove all throughout that on my own. Wow, that sounds like an amazing trip. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. It was one that I had been wanting to do for a long time, but I've done road trips all throughout Europe. I've also done a road trip, you know, throughout Spain and Portugal. I just think anywhere that is easily accessible, where countries easily border each other, you have a good chance of seeing a lot more on your own in a car when you're driving than you would with a tour group where you're really only set to their specific destinations and stops. Was it hard for you to adjust to driving in these different countries? Was their driving styles are like so different? I'm sure they all had like different laws slightly, but was it hard to adjust to driving in different countries that you went to? There's definitely things you want to take into account. So before you go and rent a car, you want to make sure that your license will be valid for renting the car and wherever it is that you're going. Sometimes I would have to go to the AAA here in the US and and get an international driver's license. Sometimes it wouldn't be necessary. I think maybe my first time driving on the other side of the road was probably in New Zealand. And that was definitely a challenging experience, just getting the spatial measurements correct and understanding how far your car was from the curb or other cars. I think that's a big cause for many accidents in these areas. And so that's actually why a lot of credit card insurance that normally applies for car rentals doesn't actually apply in places where people drive on the quote unquote other side of the road, like Australia or London or things like that, because so many people just aren't used to it. So insurance actually won't cover that. And I found that out the hard way when I was in New Zealand. Yeah, I know you mentioned that you scratched the rental car. Yeah, I had an issue there just with just it was very dangerous to drive there at night. It was pitch black. And I think I always get intimidated when I'm on a mountain and I feel like there's maybe a couple of feet of road and people are driving behind you just very quickly wanting you to swerve on a pitch black mountain. And I mean, just for me, that's a 10 mile an hour kind of thing. And so with no light, 
lights, no kind of barriers, nothing at all. I didn't even realize because I was gripping the wheel so tightly until I had parked somewhere that I had scratched the car. And at that point to do, that was my last day there. I saw it in the morning as I was leaving and I was heading back to the airport. So I had to change all plans and do a series of emergency stops at a hardware store first to see if they had any of the painting like ink pens that you can kind of try to fill in the gaps with. They did not. And they looked at me like I was crazy. So then I went to a car repair shop and then I explained to them my issues and they referred me to another shop down the road that I went into at that point desperate and somebody took pity on me and took out their buffing tool and was able to get most of the scratch out. And then I had issues still with the actual tire cover itself that was scratched and still so even though the car had been buffed away and they had repainted some of it with their professional paint tools gratuitously at this point I think the universe was just trying to help me out but I gave them whatever remaining New Zealand cash I had but it maybe amounted to 20 US dollars if that so really negligible not even really a tip for taking me and and coming in and, and really helping me at the last minute but then I still had the tire that I had to fix and so I stopped at another store to try to get a way to fix the tire I was looking for another paint thing to cover the silver on the tire so it didn't look scratched. And somebody suggested that I take a giant file and actually scuff it down so that it would be an even surface and it wouldn't be rigid edges because it had been scratched against the rock on the side of that mountaintop. So I sat there at about 3 p.m. with a giant commercial industrial file and I started filing away at the tire cover to try to make it smooth and then paint it over again with the silver thing. And finally, I managed to mend the car together, return it, and, and all was well. Wow, that's like quite the experience and that it happened towards the end of your trip. Is this something that you mentioned to the rental company or you, you because you already got everything fixed, you just kind of let it go? I absolutely did not mention this. I thought was the whole point <laughs> of, of going through all this trouble was to go because they had, I thought that it was covered by my insurance company and it wasn't until I called them to see what the coverage would be and what the process would be if anything happened when I returned the car. And then they told me that New Zealand wasn't covered. So I didn't realize that when I had waived the insurance. So I didn't have any insurance and it would have been like a $4,000 dollar flat free, which was a big motivator for me and was what I pleaded with people every time I went into one of these random body shops. I was like, they're going to charge me $4,000 for this. Oh my goodness. That's like the price of a brand new car. And I don't even get to keep the car. Help me. And they did. So it was, it worked out. Oh, I can imagine. Well, at least it worked out in the end. How was driving or like, how was the switch between driving from one side of the road to the other side of the road for you? It was very difficult. It's not instinctive. I think when you're first turning, you aim to go the way that you instinctively think to go. So you have to be very aware of it. And like I said, the spacing. So you may know how to parallel park depending on where you are and you know how wide a car is either to the left or to the right of you based of, on what you're used to. But I think once you switch that, it's more difficult to have an idea for spacing and how big this car is, especially when you're in a rental car and it's not necessarily your car to begin with. So definitely a lot of things to get used to. And I think for a lot of people, it can be intimidating, which is why I don't care if anybody following me very closely if anybody's honking like you can find a way to go around me or you can wait until you can find a way to go around me but I'm not gonna go any faster you know and I'm not gonna risk myself and, and anything just because somebody's in a hurry did you ever go 
onto the wrong side of the road because we've heard a lot of people when they'll first drive on the opposite side of the road they end up turning into the way that they're used to so they end up going into oncoming traffic have you ever had that situation I've had that happen just with regular roads. It doesn't even have to be driving on the other side of the road. Some European roads are only one way and you don't realize until you're halfway down the road that this was only a one-way street and you're going the wrong way. I've had that happen multiple times. There's some streets that are very narrow. They only fit one car. They're only And in the US, we have such wide streets that I think we're used to having a lot of space, a lot of ability to turn around. So it can be very difficult when things are not properly or when they're not marked in a way that you are able to recognize them. They could be properly done absolutely for that country, but it's just not something that you're familiar with. And so you won't necessarily see it, recognize it in the same way, or be instinctively aware that you're going down one-way street or things like that. With regards to the other side of the road, I think I was always very cautious when turning to the point of over-awareness and just being extra careful on following everybody in the right order. So I don't think I had that issue when turning, but I have had that issue in just one-way streets in general, really small roads, any kind of these European cities, South American cities, whenever it's dark and the streets are not well lit, oh my goodness, I can end up in all kinds of places. I ended up in a ditch once in, in upstate New York. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what? Yeah, that one was just, that was in the daytime too, but it was in, I was trying to get to a lavender field there. I do chase lavender from time to time, but I was trying to get to a lavender field there for an article I was writing and I was on a farm and I ended up thinking this is heading to the lavender field. So it's okay to go down this random dirt road. And then on my way back out of the road, since I couldn't do a 360 turn to get out of the road, it was so narrow. I had to just try to reverse out. My car just went over the side and into the ditch of the road. And at that point I had the little farmer from the neighboring farm that I guess had been eating dinner when they saw me go up their private road and then fall into their ditch. And they were like, here goes another one, Bob, get the tractor. (laughs) And they came and they put chains on my car and pulled me out. So I can't think that it's the first time it's happened to them, but I'm very grateful that they interrupted their meal. The guy seemed a little bit peeved, <laughs> but, but it was good. And I'm very grateful that they helped me out because I, that was my first time in a ditch. And so I was like, wow, my tires really don't have any grip. I don't have any way of get out of, getting out of here. And I don't have any service because I'm in the middle of nowhere. This is a new dilemma. <laughs> Well, at least he at least he helped get you out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they were wonderful. I think, but I just think that maybe again, it's happened more than once. So maybe they should have better signage. <laughs> but he just I think his dinner got cold while he had to pull me out. And he just wasn't expecting it at 6pm. He was trying to have a nice meal. And then this random girl comes and plants her, her car in, in his farm. <laughs> Trying to get the full experience, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and it was right there. It was adjacent. So I was on the right track. I wasn't completely off. It was just not a well done area. And I think that's why I'm so sympathetic when I write because I feel people don't realize they just forget what it is when they live in a place to be new to that place. So for instance, just in the complex that I live in, I felt like when I first arrived here that it took miles to get from the entry point to the house. And I felt like I kept questioning, did I pass it? Have I gone too far? Should there have been a turn? Did I not see something? And so I feel when you get directions, you really have to err on the side of the anxious people that really want to know and need landmarks and want to be like, okay, you have to drive for another 30 minutes. Okay, you didn't go too far. In Mexico, I took a road trip to see pink lakes. And the whole way there, I kept wondering, I'm not passing anything. Nothing looks pink. I feel like I've been driving for a long time. There's nothing on this road. Where am I? Am I anywhere close to it? So I feel like you really have to give people a realistic expectation of what it is. Otherwise, they start to panic in foreign places when they have no idea where they are. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. 
Don't ever get directions from an Indian person then. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I, I try to not sugarcoat it. You can't be like, you're almost there. It's like, you can't say that. You have to tell people the truth. I think the same applies for hiking. Because when you're hiking and somebody's like, oh, 10 more minutes, you'll be right there. And then it's an hour later and you're like, oh my God, I'm nowhere near the top. That's really disheartening for a hiker and it makes you want to stop and you know, it makes you question if you're doing the right thing. So I think with directions, you have to err on the side of really preparing people well so that when it happens, they're okay with it. And like, okay, no, this person told me. In Havasu Falls, I drove to a waterfall that's on an Indian reservation. All the different articles out there covering Havasu Falls, dozens you know, of articles, it's been covered up many different times. It's a hard ticket to get. And no one mentioned that you should make sure that you have a full gas tank before you go there because there is no gas station within at least a 60 mile radius. So if you're going on half a tank, I noticed that as I was getting closer and closer, I was like, wow, okay, we passed the store area. It's been a while since I've seen a store. I've been driving now for like an hour. All I'm seeing is deserts and dust balls. I'm at half a tank. And now at the half a tank mark, I started to panic because I'm like, what if I get, well, if I get there, I can refill. It'll be fine. Of course, there'll be something there, right? Like this is a popular site. No, there's nothing there. The people said that sometimes there's a guy that has gas tanks that will sell it at a premium to desperate people that get stranded there, but there's definitely no phone service. And I just can't imagine coming off of a 20 mile hike and being stuck now stranded in literally the middle of the desert. That would just be the most terrifying thing ever. So I had to stop because halfway through, I was like, I'm not going to make it and I'm not taking that risk because I don't know if there's a gas station there or not and I don't want to be stranded. Yeah, that would be a helpful tip to know, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially since there is no gas station. And if you're just like, oh, I'll make it and then I'll just refill. And then you get there and you're like, oh, no, now what? <laughs> yes. And they, that's what I asked. That was one of the first things I asked. I was like, what happens if somebody's stranded? Because I can't imagine that I'm the first person that that has even considered it. And if that is a problem, like what would the person do? Because there's no cell service. There's no what would they do? And she's like, well, sometimes there's a guy and every now and then he comes and he'll sell different tanks of gas to people. And I'm like, well, would you just wait for the guy? And I'm just like, I'm so confused. Yeah, that's very important to know. I'm glad that, see, now you have covered it. So it's out there. People will actually know. Yes, absolutely. It was, it was, I'm glad that I took notice and that I was looking at the, exp- you know, and I was thinking am I might be crazy as being paranoid, but I'm glad that I did the extra step and that I erred on the side of caution. And I think that when you're driving, you always have to definitely think about yourself first. I've skipped Airbnbs, you know, before that I've gone and I've not been able to find parking. I, I've been in a hard city and I feel like it's maybe unsafe and I just continued on to a different place and done a different rental. So I think you really have to go with your gut depending on, on what's happening. I agree. And since you've been to so many different places, we're really interested to know, have you noticed any type of stereotypes or certain driving cultures or types of drivers in different areas that you've been? Generally, cities are always going to be rushed driving, very tight parking, very, you're going on a loop. So you have to be prepared, even if you're driving two hours to get to a place to spend an hour just within that city in and of itself, trying to navigate the congestion. That's something that you have to allot time for and not get too frustrated with and be okay having to make a loop around and do this again, because you're new to this. You have to just be willing to adapt. And otherwise, I think you have to be aware of potential speeding especially in a new place like uh, the mountain areas where I mentioned that when you're having a lot of curves I'm very careful with how fast I'm taking curves but it feels like residents and locals since they know the road so well get impatient with tourists and just try to intimidate you into going faster 
that is a trend in a lot of mountain regions, then it's just preparing yourself for so that you can better navigate it. Because driving is meant to be for the public. It's not meant to be just something that only a select a few people can access. It's meant to be for everybody. So there's meant to be a way for you to understand the road signs and there's meant to be a way for you to get around. So don't be intimidated to think that you can't figure it out too. So out of all the places that you've been, what would you say is your favorite place to drive or your least favorite place to drive? I do like driving in the U.S. because it's comfortable. And I think that in general, any kind of big open roads, countryside, random states are are just really good places to just relax and hit the open road for a while, like Road 66, kind of things like that, Arizona. I would, again, be careful because there are a lot of speed traps. So sometimes I, I would make sure to drive with particular apps like Waze to make sure that I'm aware of any law enforcement presence in the area and that I don't get into any kind of speed traps because there's a lot of those where the speed limit changes 10, 10 miles an hour and all of a sudden there's a police officer that's been sitting there just waiting to catch tourists. But otherwise it's really nice and I think just easy. I think also I do like driving in nature spaces. Like I rented a car in Iceland and that was that was interesting. I, I went during a time where it wasn't frozen roads. I went more in September. So it was still relatively temperate weather for them. So wet, like it was rainy, but otherwise it was really nice and, and lovely there too. And lots of scenery. So that was a really beautiful road trip that I took. And I, I think that was really enjoyable. Maybe difficult places to drive in. Major cities definitely are always challenging. So Madrid was challenging. Lisbon was challenging. I remember trying to get out of a spot in Lisbon. I ended up in somebody's driveway, but it was, I don't know, a politician or something because they had security all over the place and they wanted to call the cops because I went into the driveway and I was like, I want nothing to do with anyone here. I just want to back out. Like I had no other choice but to come down this way. I'm trying to get out of here and I just have no interest. I want no beef. I just want to leave. So it depends on where you are, but cities, especially cities that have narrow roads and that are very not built for cars because they're built for horse and carriages, they're much more difficult to navigate. Wow. That's uh, of all the places you could have ended up, you ended up in a politician's driveway. <laughs> I don't even know how I got there because it had gates. So I don't know why the gates were open. And I just need to turn around. And I don't understand what you're saying, sir. I don't, I don't like, I'm not going to wait here. I'm not going to be locked in. I'm not going to wait for the cops. I don't want any of this. I just abort, abort. <laughs> just let me leave. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just want to go home. Yeah, so now you know, don't back into places. When you back in, you went into a ditch on that guy's farm. You backed in, you went to the politician's driveway. <laughs> you know, these are all coming to me as I'm speaking to you. So I guess I've had more misfortunes driving than I recall. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've heard some of your crazy experiences, let's dive into what kind of driver you are. It sounds like you enjoy road tripping. So if you were given the option, would you prefer to drive or would you prefer to be the passenger? It depends. So if I have things I want to do that I want to get somewhere by a certain point in time and I have a packed schedule, I like to be in control. And so I prefer to drive because I know I will get there. Other people are a little bit slow. I'm very efficient. <laughs> so that would be my preference. Otherwise, if it's something where it's at nighttime and it's after a packed day of activity, then yes, it would be ideal to have somebody drive me to the hotel and I can just relax in the passenger seat. Have you ever had a situation where you were a passenger and you felt like, I shouldn't have gotten in this car? 
I have had different instances with taxis and Ubers. Argentina comes to mind. When I first got there, I had an airplane taxi driver that I know I handed a certain amount of money to because it was a certain amount of money that I had just gotten out of the ATM. And he insisted that I had given him a different sum. And so he was giving me change back for what he said I gave him versus what I knew I gave him. So I felt I got ripped off and I already had a bad vibe there. And then leaving, also similarly leaving, I had an Uber driver that asked that I get in the front seat and then started to come on to me and really get physical there. So that was not ideal. And I would not sit in the front seat for any of these rideshare services as a female. So yes, I definitely think that that's also a pro of when you're driving your own car is that you have safety over who you're in the car with. And I don't want to cast any bad light on the country as a whole, because things like this can happen anywhere. And I've lived in dangerous cities, you know, all throughout. But I think that was just the place where I just so happened that both on my way in and on my way out, I felt like I was encountered with sketchy people. Yeah, that definitely makes you want to rent and drive yourself. Absolutely. And I think I would, I would enjoy driving it, especially in countries where it's on the opposite side of the road. If you're doing it for the first time, it's a little like, oh, I gotta be super cautious. Yeah. And you don't want to have the issue with worrying about the car and and if anything's going to happen to it. And I do recommend that you take out insurance and and the trip in Mexico where I was looking for the pink lakes. I didn't even realize until I got back that the one of the tire covers had popped up along the way. So when I got back, they were like, oh, this is missing something. And there was damage to the car. And I was like, oh, and I didn't even realize this one. And I was like, oh, well, no problem, because this one has full coverage. Because in Mexico, they charge you something ridiculous, like $2 a day for rental, which is just really, really cheap. And you're like, what's the catch? And the catch is you have to pay another like $70 a day for the full insurance. So it's it adds up. And so with Mexico, you have no choice but to get the full insurance. So that's something that to think about if you know that you're going to be somewhere where you might be panicky and if it, if it is going to be smaller spaces, crammed parking, things like that. Some of these parking garages in Europe are crazy. They're underneath the ground and they're very, very tight and they're just claustrophobic. So if this is something that you're worried about, definitely invest in that broader insurance policy so you can drive with peace of mind. That's crazy. I've heard that, I don't know about internationally, but I've heard that in the U.S., different states, don't always have the best parking garages. And I once heard that where we are in Maryland has apparently really good parking garages. And I never realized until we drove to, we went to Philly once and then we went to New Jersey. And we're like, wow, these parking garages do not look like garages. They look like weird tunnels. And we're like, where are we going? <laughs> yes, absolutely. They're very intimidating. And they just make you feel like like that, like you're in an underground ant tunnel. And it's a really tough way to navigate. Like it's very tight in the corners you have to cut. And in a rental car, it can be anxiety inducing because you're sitting there worried about, do I have the space to make it? Is the car going to be okay? Is there somebody behind me? You know, where am I? And so I think all of that compounds and, and makes people very stressed out about driving, but it, it, it can be relieved significantly if you know that you're covered with a generous insurance policy. So you did mention this a little bit or touch on this a little bit, but how would you describe the type of driver that you are? And would you say that your friends and family would describe your driving in the same way? I don't know if I can think of a set adjective. I learned to drive in Philadelphia, so I feel like I definitely have some aggressiveness in me. I can keep up with city areas. I don't have a problem merging. You know, I'm not a person that's going to go onto a merge road and break. Like, I'm a person who's going to go onto a merge road and accelerate because that's the point of having a merge lane. <laughs> it's so that you can merge into traffic. And I think some people get caught by inaction and then they'll sit there forever. They'll hold up traffic. So I, I kind of act. I definitely am 
somebody that's that has the impetus to move and to take a decision and act quickly. But it does take its toll because it is stressful to be in that kind of situation. You're gripping the steering wheel very tight. It's just a lot. In general, I like to be I prefer to be a relaxed driver, just somebody that's listening to music and has the car on on auto drive autopilot. To me, that's one of my favorites. If I could just have an open highway and just have it on autopilot. So I know speed limit is taken care of and everything is fine. And I can just listen to music and relax and chill. That's the best. Yeah, I feel like with merging and yielding, those are things people confuse a lot and they do the opposite at those points. So I can see how like that can cause frustration in a lot of people. Absolutely. You are absolutely right. And those would be two opposite things. So so merging, you definitely just want to get on the same speed as the people that you're merging into. So you're not going 30 miles an hour and everybody else going 70 and now you're causing a traffic jam. But yielding, yes, you definitely want to stop so that you make sure that you're not both going onto the same road at 40 miles an hour and hit each other. That would be ideal. (laughs) And to me, it seems so simple. But I think again, because driving is meant to be for everyone, you really never know what you're going to get. And you have to be overly responsible for yourself and anticipating the behaviors of others, especially in a foreign place, especially when you're traveling, you really want to be extra aware. And I think that that can be a lot for many people. And that's why people opt to get ride services and you don't have that extra pressure of having to manage and, and drive a car and worry about navigating unknown territory. With all these different types of drivers on the road, what would you say is your biggest pet peeve of driving? I would say probably the way that people instantly change when weather changes. So I think Inclement weather is very difficult to drive in. It's always better when you have, even if it's a cold day, if you have clear streets, you're just much, you have much better chances of doing well and and coming out less anxiety induced and stressed out than you would if it's raining or if it's foggy, because I think both of those things, all of a sudden, if it starts to rain, people will have a dramatic 30 mile an hour difference in how fast they're going. and, And all of a sudden you can't see, you have low visibility. So I think those kind of conditions are not ideal. I don't know if it, if it fits with pet peeve because it's not something necessarily people do. You can't plan the weather. So I would say tail tailgating also is a pet peeve. People who like definitely go right behind you. If they can go around you, I don't understand why they feel the need to come up right behind you and, and try to force you to go faster, which is why I always say, you know, I refuse to get intimidated by any of that while I'm traveling. And if there are people that are especially on mountain areas, because it happens to me all the time, I will have them go around me or I will just keep going, but I'm not going to take a curve at a really quick speed in a dangerous manner because somebody is in a hurry. Oh, I completely agree with you. If someone's behind you, I've noticed this a lot, even when we get to roundabouts, there's two lanes and people will still be behind you and yet they'll be on your bumper and it's like, uh, you can go around clearly your space. Yep. Absolutely. We have one of those here in my complex. And there are people who use them aggressively too, who like kind of just purposely wait to get to the roundabout and then go around you really quickly. And then all of a sudden want to go into 60 miles an hour going out of the roundabout. And I think that is unnecessary either. I don't understand why we're not on Fast and the Furious. This is not need for speed. There's no need to (laughs) just it's not you don't need to show off at that point too. like your final eat my dust kind of thing. Like I think all of that is just 
unnecessary. But first and foremost, because it is so intimidating for so many people, I just encourage people to take it at your own timing and your own pace. And definitely if you're responsible for a rental vehicle, that's definitely an asset that you're driving around and you don't want to cause damage to other property or other vehicles either. So you don't just want to be moving recklessly because you feel the pressure to do so from other people. Yeah, with all these aggressive drivers, I know you said that you don't let them intimidate you, which is great. But have you ever experienced road rage? Yeah, I feel like all of us have. And sometimes you have to just take it down a notch. For me, it, it has come up in, in different instances. I used to live in South Florida, so I think road rage was a way, way of life down there. There were so many people just with driving to and from work every single day that would have accidents and different fights would break out. So I feel like it is a very aggressive place to drive. I, I went to school for four years in Miami, and I felt like after that, that was the prime road rage place of America. So after that, it's hard to top. I try to be a little bit more understanding when I'm traveling, because unless it's something that's really going to affect my finances, unless it's something that's really going to be a big issue for my trip, I try to just let it go because I don't want to let these things affect my actual vacation. I think we already get so little vacation time as it is. And anger is such an all encompassing emotion that when you give yourself over to that, sometimes you'll end up replaying the scenario in your mind for the rest of the day. And then you'll be upset about it all day. So I really try to let it go. But I'm no stranger to road rage because as a Floridian, it really is just very commonplace down there. That's really interesting. I didn't know that Florida was that like road rage was that prevalent. I feel like there are definitely memes and, and that, not all of Florida, but South Florida. The Miami area is a very aggressive place to drive. There's a lot of just people know driving on 95, you have a mix of speeding cars and Lamborghinis and 90 year old retirees. So together you get a bunch of crashing and a bunch of people all over each other. And it's a lot of traffic, everybody in a hurry, everybody late. So it is a very stressful place to drive. You know, you're talking about a one or two hour commute to work for everybody in the city, no matter where they live, no good public transportation to really alleviate any of that construction constantly. So it's just a, a gripe with people who live there and, and have for decades now because I was there as early as 2005. And it's still an ongoing problem. Like in LA, people know that the traffic's going to be terrible and, and that that's the case and that they're going to be backed up for hours. So it's just kind of a fact of life of living in these glamorous cities sometimes. The way you're describing Florida, it kind of makes sense why they do have road rage because of everything that's going on down there. Oh, yeah. Nothing is without reason. I mean, everything is, is cause for a reason. And it, it is it's a pro and con of living in a really beautiful, glamorous, sunny, expensive area. But there's there's definitely cons and there is not you can't do subways there because of it's a peninsula and just infrastructural challenges. So there's no choice but to try to make the traffic work and they have tried to alleviate it and they've tried to open new construction, but it's still challenging and the drivers there are so varied that it's very difficult and there are accidents every single day. Every, I mean, there's every single time I drive, I see an accident somewhere. It's just very commonplace. Ooh, that's crazy. I think here the thing is every time you drive you'll at least see you'll see at least one dead deer on the side of the road. <laughs> yes, and so that and that's it. Like right every place has its pros and cons and that's definitely something that the that the northeast area, any kind of rural area that those are dangers as well. The animals and wildlife and they can cause a lot of damage to your car. They can come out of nowhere. So that's scary in and of itself. 
Oh yeah, I agree. There was an instance not too long ago where one car hit a deer, but the deer went flying and hit the car coming in the opposite direction, and I think it killed the passenger. And you just don't expect something like that to happen, but it does. Wow, exactly. And so I think people just think, oh, well, if an animal happens, then you know it's it's unfortunate for the animal, but we'll be fine. But no, there could be a lot of property damage. So there's definitely something to be weary of. Weather too in Billings. I was in Billings, Montana, and we were driving to Yellowstone, and they said that it's not recommended that people drive there because the wind is so fierce that it actually knocks cars, trucks over, and then you're just not familiar with it. Yeah, that would have been really scary. Now that we know. The type of driver you are. Let's go into your driving first. How would you describe your very first driving experience, and who was it with? My first driving experience was just learning how to drive with my mom. She taught me how to drive in Philadelphia. We were in a parking lot, and we did that for a couple of different days until I got to graduate to going around the actual, you know, mall itself, and then small roads, and it was pretty successful. When you went to go take the actual driving test, were you able to pass the first time, and how was that experience? I was. I feel like I'm very good at passing tests. It's kind of one of the things that I take pride in. It's one of my talents. Other people can do different things, race, be athletically prone, but I feel like tests have always been my thing. So I was really well prepared for the written aspect of it, and then the actual driving test itself. I had already practiced parallel parking. It's always a challenge, but I think I had it down. Generally, are good enough for the vicinity of just getting it in the spot. Generally, so I, I passed. So it sounds like you had to parallel park. I know a lot of tests are getting rid of it. So do you think that parallel parking is important to have on the test, or that they should keep it on tests? I do think it's a practical skill, even if you're not. Obviously, you're going to be aiming for a parking lot where possible. But I've had to parallel park pretty regularly. No matter where I am and and where I'm going and and no matter what city or state I'm in, so it's still something that is common. So I do think that it, there's value to it, and I think a lot of people don't know how to parallel park. It can cause traffic for everybody who's waiting for a car to get into a tough spot, and it can be very difficult and it can be frustrating to not know it. So I do think it's a valuable skill. I didn't realize that they were getting rid of it. That just shows my age, I guess. But if there were no parallel parking. Available in the entirety of the state, then I can see where it would maybe make sense. Like if the whole state was parking garages, then sure. If you didn't have any occasion to parallel park, then it wouldn't be necessary. And it's just a weird skill to know, like how to fit this car into that narrow space. But if you have the angles right, it, it's it's something that comes instinctively after a while. Yeah, I feel like it, it's an important skill to have, especially if you do plan on going somewhere outside of where you live, even if it's just a different state. They might require you to parallel park, and if you never even practice that skill, what are you going to do in that situation? Exactly. So, thinking about the future of cars, and with the possibility of them being able to start becoming driverless, what are your thoughts on this? And would you be comfortable getting in that car? It depends. I've seen it on different TV shows, and it depends on the technology. I'm sure if before a hundred years ago somebody asked, "Would you be comfortable eating food that came out of a box and was hot?" People would have been like, "I don't know. What's in that box? What makes it hot? I don't. I'm not sure." But now we have microwaves, and people eat stuff out of the microwave all the time. So I think it would depend on how commonplace it was, how safe it was, and if it's something that society just moves and evolves to use. I'm not against the evolution of technology. I think it is what it is. I'm not going to fight. It. I'm not going to be here living off the grid and and thinking, okay, I'm going to hide every social profile I have. Nobody will ever find me. I'm not going to take.
take any facial recognition stuff. That's not going to be me. I'm just going to live in that world because this is the world that we live in and I'm going to do my best to make it work for me. So if it was something that became commonplace and people started driving with self-driving cars, I wouldn't be the last holdout in my Chevy still there insisting that I drive manually. I would give it a shot, but I definitely would want to see, as with everyone else, what kind of technology is it? What makes it safe? What are the different you know, improvements that we've made? And it's just a matter of seeing how we evolve. Yeah, that's well said. I think there's even actually a taxi service or something that had started in Arizona that is already driverless. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out and if it actually expands to more places in the U.S. Yeah, because we have so many cool things that come with technology. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, none of us, I didn't have an iPhone 10 years ago. I didn't have a navigation system in my phone. I had my mom buy me as my college gift, uh, an external GPS system. And I remember telling her then I was like, mom, this is a terrible gift. No offense, but this is like, (laughs) this is not going to grow with me. Jewelry would have been a better gift because this technology is going to be outdone. I guarantee you in a couple of years. And sure enough, here we are. Nobody uses an external GPS in their car. So I think it's impossible to say how we'll evolve and what will become commonplace, but I'm definitely excited to be part of it. You know, I like partaking in society's growth and the trends as they come along. Yeah, definitely. Bonus question time. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? This is a tough one. I kind of instinctively want to say for everyone to have their windows up so they have to listen to their own music, but that sounds (laughs) miserly. It sounds like I'm not a joyful person and I don't want to hear other people's music, but that's not not the case. I just maybe just want to hear just my music. So I think maybe that would be an interesting law. You know, you're not the only person that said that. So obviously there's other people that agree with you that they don't want to be able to hear other people's music. Because I think you just get into such a vibe when you're driving and you have your own sounds. And even if that sound is silence, sometimes there's something so relaxing about driving on a quiet drive and just like having yourself and your thoughts. And then all of a sudden somebody's random obtrusive song comes in, whatever it is, loud banging instruments, music, whatever the case. And then it just interrupts your vibe. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like the people who have those loud, obnoxious, super turned up music or whatever they're playing is the ones that gets on your nerves. So maybe there can be some way to, I don't know, like fine or something to be like, if you reach a certain level, you're going to get ticketed or something. Right. Or just a cool technology that contains your sound to your car bubble. So you can listen to it as loud as you like, but it doesn't obtrude on like anybody else around you. And I think that would be a really cool technology while we're developing flying cars and driverless cars. Let's go ahead and develop soundproof vessels that are their own little world and you can't hear anything outside of them. Exactly. (laughs) What I was going to say, I was like, somebody needs to get on that. I was going to say something like noise canceling headphones, but like noise canceling cars, exteriors. (laughs) Exactly. It's genius. I'm telling you. (laughs) Do you have any final thoughts or any tips that you would like to give other drivers? I think in general, I just really want to encourage female drivers specifically to give it a shot. I think that there is a lot to be said for the power of just taking an itinerary into your own hands, being able to stop whenever you see something that is really interesting for you, being able to set your own schedule and have complete control over where you go and when. I think that it's so empowering 
for women. And even if you're just taking a road trip around your own state, even if you're just going somewhere local, domestic, renting a, a car for a day, it can really be a transformative experience. So I recommend women to try it. Don't be intimidated. Don't be scared by any of the horror stories. Even if you do end up in a ditch, you may have a kind farmer man who comes and gets you out. There will be solutions to any problems that come up. And the important thing is that you don't stop yourself from having the adventure in the first place. Yeah, there's plenty of nice people out there and someone will be there to help you. So that's a great tip. Before we let you go, we love being able to share the love and support one another. And I know that you have your own blog. So where can listeners find that if they want to check it out? And could you tell us a little about it? Absolutely. So my blog is called Jen on a Jet Plane, like leaving on a jet plane, the old song. And you can find me at jenonajetplane.com and on social media by the same handle, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook. I write about solo female travel, about finding cheap ways to travel. So public transportation, cheap flights, things of the sort. And I just help people who have busy schedules fit travel into their daily lives. Thank you so much for coming on. We had a blast talking to you and hearing all your driving experiences all over the world. Likewise. Thank you for having me. So we're always talking about road trips and getting a rental instead of driving our own cars, like for the future trips that we take. What would you have done if you had damaged the rental like Jen did? Like, would you have gone to all those lengths to cover it up? I can never. No, I can never. I can never. <laughs> I can never say I've done that. There, I changed what I was going to say. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor, de nor, nor, nor deny. <laughs> she's done it. That's why she's having a hard time covering it up. <laughs> I've never had a rental, except for when my car was in the shop, so not on a road trip. So I'm not asking you if you had one. I'm I know, asking... I know. I can neither... Oh my God, I still can't say it. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Wow, I still hesitated. All right, what about you? No, but like, what would you have done if you did that? If you had this rental and you damaged it? I mean, I, like, she got really creative. I don't know if I would have know, like, known to think about all these different ways, but she did go to different shops and they're like, oh, you could do this and you could do that. So, I mean, if someone suggested it. Yeah, then I would have covered it up. Otherwise, I would have just brought it to them like that. <laughs> I never said that. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> what about you? Would you say that to them if you just brought it like that? I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> what happened, happened to this car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, what happened to this car? I don't know. It wasn't me. <laughs> yes. More Monsters, Inc. references. <laughs> it's the most referenced movie in this household. Yeah. Probably is. <laughs> but personally, I feel like I would freak out. Again, I freak out when I ever anything happens when I'm in a car <laughs> like <laughs> just in a car yeah I feel like you just are generally stressed and worried about everything thanks I you can either confirm nor yeah I can I can confirm that <laughs> but I've had so many close calls and actual accidents in the car that I'm just freak out over everything that happens so if that happened I would probably be a mess and i my brain wouldn't function enough to think to cover it up i could see that i can confirm <laughs> i can confirm <laughs> that i agree <laughs> but yeah she brought up a really great point of like looking into insurance and making sure you do get the proper insurance to reduce the stress and like and the right coverage yeah and not have to go through this 
Insurance is complicated. <laughs> Her other story that made me laugh a little when, like, the way she was describing it was her ending up in a ditch in upstate New York. So, have you ever gotten stuck somewhere? And what would you have done if you did get stuck like that? I did get stuck once with a friend, but not... I don't think I've gotten stuck in a ditch. What do you mean with a friend? Like, I was driving with a friend and we got stuck in a ditch. (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't remember you telling me that. (laughs) Yeah, so we got stuck in a ditch. Um, Yeah, we got that part. (laughs) And we're, like, trying so hard. We're like, what do we do? What do we do? Like, how do we get it out? And then we're like, oh. Uh, wait, I'm- wait, wait. Back it up. Where was this? I don't remember. We were on some back road. And obviously, like, the side of the road, it was kind of, like, more of a country road. So, obviously, the side, there was, like, big, I guess, channels where water would go or something next to fields. Where, you, like that. where were you going? To our house or something? <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't remember. Obviously, you're going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think to our house. Okay. And then... I think she made a wrong turn and we're like, oh, wait, well, we got to go the other way. And then so she tried to back up and then the tire went straight into the ditch and she couldn't get it out. And then since I wasn't driving, I wasn't as freaked out. She was like, at, I probably would be freaked out if it was my car, but like she was really freaked it's out. It's her car, whatever. <laughs> no, it was her. So I could think more rationally because I was like, OK, I'm like, well, if we really need to, I can call my dad. He has a truck. He knows someone. He can figure it out, right? Because she's like, I don't want to call my parents. They're going to be so mad, you know? So I was like, okay, well, we're not too far. Like, he hasn't left for work. If we really need to, I'll call him. But, like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, what do we do? And I'm like, oh, there's big rocks. I look for big rocks and try and, like, shove it under the tire so it has some traction. It kind of worked, but then it was kind of the ground was loose, so then they all slipped down again. Like, she was able to make it a little bit, but then it went back down. We're like, darn it. <laughs> so, uh, eventually someone came down this abandoned-looking road. <laughs> and they're like, okay, you're going to need some help. So, they got they had a rope or something, so they tied it to the front. They're like, it's going to bend the bumper a little bit. But she's like, I don't care. Just get it out. And so, they pulled it out. And, yeah, we went on our way. <laughs> what? I don't remember you ever sharing this with me. Yeah. Wow. It was kind of like, we will never speak of this again. <laughs> How about you? Have you ever gotten stuck in a ditch? Ditch? No, but in snow. Yeah, that's not a ditch. <laughs> um, I practically made a ditch for myself. <laughs> <laughs> made your own. I've shared this story before. I feel like all my stories, I'm just like, I've shared this before. But it was when I was going, so I'll give a really short version of it, but it was when I was going to work and it was snowing really bad and it came down really fast and then... I got to work and they're like, oh, it's actually closed. And I had to turn back around. And mm-hmm. I got to the second or third light from my work. Like, it was not too far. It was five minutes away. I get to the intersection. First, I couldn't stop because it was just slippery. And I kind of went into, like, past the white line a little into the intersection. And then the light turned green. Everyone else went. I did it. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think I'll stay here. This seems like a good My spot. car's, like, tire kept spinning, and it was basically creating this mountain of snow in front of me. So then I couldn't get anywhere, and I was just digging myself into a snow ditch. Uh. <laughs> How'd you get out? I reversed. <laughs> I oh. went around. <laughs> when in doubt, reverse. <laughs> well, you made it out, so that's good. I'm only thinking, like, if this kind of situation happened in another country... Uh, I don't know what I'd do. I'm done. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I'm done. That's it. 
Done just abandoned the car. I can neither confirm nor deny what happened to this car today, and I don't know where it went. It's <laughs> just sitting on the side of the road somewhere. He just walked away. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> but that was Jen's stories, crazy stories, driving around the world. If you or anyone you know has any crazy driving stories and would like to come on the show, you can fill out the interest form on our website at drivewithuspodcast.com. And be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode for a sneak peek of next week's episode. And don't forget to come hang out with us on our Discord server. Thanks for joining with us. And now, a sneak peek. I was driving home on 4th of July and I was like on my street. And when I got home, my mom was like, there's a bear down the street. I was like, oh my gosh, no way I want to go see. So I get back in the car. I don't know why I felt like I needed to do this. But I get back in the car. I keep my headlights off. And I drive down the street. And it's probably about 10 p.m. So I keep the headlights off. And I'm driving. And I have my windows down. And then I hear something. And it's the sound of a baby bear. And I'm like, oh, no.